0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at TrinityOwasso.com. Okay, brothers and sisters, guests, friends, seekers, We want you to have a copy of God's Word. So if you would grab a Bible and open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are in a series on 1 Corinthians. And the book of 1 Corinthians is essentially a book on how to apply the gospel to every area of life because the Corinthian church was an absolute mess. And so also... Are we? <laughs> so also am I. And so as we turn our attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin at verse 14 and I'll read down through verse 22. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's holy inerrant, and inspired word. Therefore, my beloved, flee From idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. They are not those who eat the sacrifices. Are they not those who eat the sacrifices? Participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please, Father, please open our hearts to give attention to your word and may it change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Flee from idolatry. Sounds so foreign. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Idolatry is not something that we struggle with. It's, it's, idolatry sounds so primitive, doesn't it? We modern people don't worship idols, cast bronze and stone and wood. This week I was in New Mexico for a ministry event on Wednesday to Friday, and I hadn't been there very long when I got a text from my son's scout leader asking me if I would walk with the boys on a requirement for their hiking merit badge, which requires us to hike 20 miles. (laughs) And I had just gotten to to New Mexico, and I got this text, and I did not want to walk with these boys. And I certainly did not want to walk with these boys for 20 miles. And so, there was in my heart a pull. I was going to be gone Wednesday to Friday. I had stuff to do on Saturday morning. And I was going to have to miss a couple of soccer games for my other children. And I hadn't seen Lauren. And and so, I... So I, I just felt these pulls in my heart. I felt the first pull, number one, is I want, when I get back, to do what I want. I just want to veg out. So this pull to just chill came over me. And then, and then this pull to say, well, I don't know what these boys are going to do if I'm with them for seven hours walking 20 miles. I can't control that environment. And so this deep sense of control came over me. Like, I don't like being out of control. Like, a lot of you don't like being out of control. And then I felt, you know, th- gosh, I've said no to this group a hundred times in the last year. Maybe I should do it. And this pull of like wanting them to accept me and like me and approve of me as a faithful scout dad kind of came over me. And in that moment, it was weird because I was getting pulled in all these different directions. I had this pull of the, the desire for comfort I had this pull for this desire for control. I had this pull that was pulling me into the conversation by this desire not to let these people down. So, so listen, uh, I, idolatry is so foreign. We don't serve idols. And yet here I was being absolutely dominated by three of them. An idol of control, an idol of comfort, and the desire, the idol for people to approve of me. And so what did I do? Well, I did what any self-respecting leader of a home or husband would do. I called Lauren and asked her what I should do. (laughs) So I called Lauren and I said, hey, honey, uh, I've been asked to do this and tell me about the the kids. How was their week? I'm going to miss a couple of soccer games. Do you need me home? How are you? Do you need me to be all, all hands on deck with everybody or can I go and lead this crew to go on this walk? And she, of course, was gracious and said, no, no, no. You should do what you feel called to do. Do your thing. Do what you feel best, which didn't help me. And so then I, I sat on it for a night, and I just kind of rested. And I fought these three, these three idols of control, of, of comfort, and, and of approval. And, and so I decided to go. I decided to go, and so we went to the Fortune Park yesterday, and we walked around the Fortune Park seven times in the heat of the day. And we saw the same people. And after the third or fourth visit, they're starting to look at us like, do you need a place to stay? You know. And we're walking with these boys, and we're taking soggy tennis balls. And we just had, we had a great time. And so if you see me or if you see Andrew limping out of church today, it's because we just walked 20 miles, and we are really sore. But it was a, we had a great time, and there's lots of laughter. And fun, and and I'm glad, and I'm glad that I went. But I tell you that story to tell you that it is in the warp and wolf of everyday life that the deep idols of your heart begin to pull on you. Because why is it? Why do you defend yourself? Why do you lie? Why do you fail to love? Why do you break promises? Why do you choose to live selfishly? And of course the Sunday school answer is well because of sin, duh. But beneath your sin is always a deeper sin. And beneath that sin is a pattern of behavior that often reveals the idol of your heart. And it pulls you in certain directions. And for some of you if you're if you're older, this has pulled you since you were a little boy or a little girl. Idolatry is nothing like the crude, simplistic picture that springs to mind of an idol sculpted in some distant country. Idolatry today is highly sophisticated, and it's more sophisticated than you are, as smart as you are. And there's a lot of smart people in this room. Idolatry draws together the complexity of our motivations and our individual psychology and the social environment and also the unseen world of the presence of demonic realms and of spirits. Dick Kies writes that idols are not just on pagan altars, but in well-educated human hearts and minds. Can read Ezekiel 14, for example. The Apostle Paul associates the dynamics of human greed and lust and coveting with idolatry. This is Ephesians 5.25 or Colossians 3.5. The Bible does not allow us, Dick Kais says, to marginalize idolatry to the fringes of our life because it is found on center stage. Paul says, that we are to choose the better blessing. That we are to flee idolatry. We are to choose the better blessing. To name the idols of our hearts, there is something, first of all, verse 15, to judge. Secondly, verse 18, there's something to consider. And verse 21, there's something to assess. So first, something to judge. I speak to you as sensible people, Verse 15, judge for yourselves what I say. Paul had just told the Corinthians that they had access to four incredibly rich resources. They had the counsel of God's word, which for them was the testimony of the apostles, and for us today is God's written word. They had not only the testimony of God's word, but they also had the remembrance of their baptism. Just as Israel passed through the sea, so also you have... The remembrance of your baptism, which symbolizes God's faithfulness to you. Third, they had the Lord's table, where he is spiritually present. And fourth, they had the presence of Christ among people when they are gathered for worship. Now, these four resources, God's word, your baptism, the Lord's table, and Christ's presence, is to be, for us, an incredible way of escape whenever we're tempted. We run to these resources to find the way out. And these promises are for you, Paul says. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And all things, all kinds of things are potential idols for us. If this is so, Dick Kyes writes in the Idol Factory, how do we determine when something is becoming or has become an idol? Many of you receive these green and blue cards. Do you have these? If you would grab these and look at them with me, that would be very helpful for the next two minutes. Look on the blue side of this card where it says gospel transformation at the top. And on the bottom, there is a triangle. And I want you to look at this triangle, this transformation chart. And notice your current state It is possible for you to try to go straight to being changed without going to the cross of Christ. And if you do that, it is a failed pursuit. You will be running to stand still. But if you allow yourself to recognize the sin, this is what repentance is all about. And then you are able to name the sin underneath the sin. It wasn't just that I uh, didn't want to go on the hike. It's that I really wanted control. And what I really wanted was comfort. That's the idol of my heart. Can I recognize the idol that's commanding that sin? And then in repentance, I get to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I don't need to have control. Jesus, I don't always need to have comfort. You gave up control. You yourself were infinitely discomforted for me. I don't need to have approval of other people because Christ infinitely accepts me in His finished work. And so, in repentance, then I begin to believe, and what do I believe? Well, I first believe that God is good, which is the reason why many of you, many of you and, and I struggle with sin so much, because we do not believe that first step. He's holding things back from us, just as the serpent said to Eve and lied to her in the garden. You believe that God is good. You believe that God is not only good, but He's gracious. You believe, that God, uh, you believe that God is better. And you believe that God is in control. And when you experience that process of repentance and of faith, you begin to be changed by the gospel. So the question is, how can we not only repent of our sins, but be able to go deeper and repent of the idol beneath the sin? And when you learn the skills to do this, you are really beginning to grow. Dick Kais says, How do we determine when something is becoming or has become an idol? As soon as our loyalty to anything leads us to disobey God, we are in danger of making it an idol. An idol can be a physical object, it can be a property. It can be a person, an activity, a role, an institution, a hope, an image, an idea, a pleasure, a hero. So Paul says to each of us: Judge for yourself, O oh, you sensible people in Tulsa, and in Owasso, and Collinsville, and Skytook, and Muskogee. Judge for yourself: Is this true for you? Work, which is a commandment from God can become an idol if it's pursued so exclusively that responsibilities to one's family are ignored. Family, an institution designed by God, can become an idol if one is so preoccupied with the family unit that no one outside your own family is cared for. Being liked, which is a perfectly legitimate hope, becomes an idol if the attachment to it means that no one ever risks disapproval. Are you hearing me? What about you? Try these questions on for size. What is your greatest nightmare? Or what do you worry about the most? What do you rely on for comfort when things go badly or become difficult? How do you numb yourself? What makes you feel the most self-worth? What are you proudest of? Practical questions for practical times. Consider which of these resonates with you. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth, if I have power and influence over others. Power idolatry. I am loved and respected by blank, approval, idolatry. I have this kind of pleasure or experience or a particular quality of life. Comfort, idolatry. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I'm completely free from obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Independence, idolatry. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth if. I am highly productive, and I get a lot done. Work, idolatry. I'm being recognized for my accomplishments, and I am excelling in my work. Achievement, idolatry. I have a certain level of wealth or financial freedom, and I have very nice possessions. Materialism, idolatry. Life only has meaning or I only have worth if I'm adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities. Religion. Idolatry. This one person in my life is in my life and I'm happy to be here and I'm happy with him and they are everything to me and that's an individual person. Idolatry. I only have worth if... I am totally independent of organized religion, and I am living by self-made morality. It's an irreligion idolatry. I only have worth if my race and my culture is ascendant, and it's recognized as superior. That is racial idolatry, or cultural idolatry. Life only has meaning, or I only have worth if... A particular social grouping, a professional grouping, or other group that I'm in, lets me in. That's the inner ring idolatry. My children or my parents are happy with me, it's a family idolatry. Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me. Relationship idolatry. Do you see, are you, are you, are you see where we're going? Anything can become an idol. I'm hurting. I'm in a problem. And only then do I feel worthy of love and able to deal with my guilt. That's a suffering or a victimization idolatry. My political or social cause is making progress. And it's ascending an in influence or power. It's an ideology idolatry. My life only has worth if I have a particular kind of look or body image. That's an image idolatry. And Paul says to flee its present progressive that is not just turn from it once, but make it a habit of all of your life fleeing from idolatry. He doesn't just say idol. He says the whole system and subwork and the complex system of motivations and psychology and social environment and spiritual liabilities that you have make your heart, as John Calvin says, an idol-making factory. John Owen says that our hearts are like a densely wooded forest when we come to know Jesus for the first time. And sometimes the Holy Spirit takes out large swaths of that forest. But he leaves all the underbrush there for us to progressively pick and repent of and clear out that forest. The goal is to clear out the land, Owen says. And there is going to be in that land a day when you can pick weeds and make lots of progress in certain areas of your life. But there are also giant... Redwoods that are planted in that field. Huge idols of your heart that have grown since you were a child from a little seed into a mighty tree. And John Owen says, You were to take the acts of God's word and the worship of God's people and repentance, and you were to whack at that tree. And then Owen, realistic as a good pastor says, and then put the axe down lest you wear yourself out because that idol you have to take in small bites and over seasons, long periods of time. What is that for you? And wouldn't it be amazing if we as a church were able to talk about this level of sin in such a way that when people who are new to the gospel come in our doors, what they find is that it's a room full of humble people because when you ask the question, do you struggle? Every hand goes up. And I don't just mean that as a as as some surface level thing. I mean that your community groups are able to talk with a level and a depth that is totally countercultural and different. And it's possible. But your approval idol stands in the way of that. And so you've got to start there. And say, Lord, what could you do in this group of people called a community group that you might blow us away with our ability to become more and more authentic and honest? Because frankly, I'm not that interested in just checking a box. I'm not that interested in a pastor. As a pastor, having a church that just has people check the boxes. And I'm certainly not... Up to spending my own time with a group of people that just checks the box. Okay, great. I want people to know me. And you need to be known. So, first, there's something to judge. Secondly, there's something to consider. Verse 18. Verse 18 says, Consider the people of Israel. They are not those who eat sacri- are not those who eat sacrifices. Participants in the altar. That is, that as a people we participate in in as the Old Testament people of God participated in the altar sacrifices. So we, as a New Testament people, come as the text is going to tell us in just a minute. We come and participate in the beauty of the Lord's table. Uh, Paul Houston. Some of you know his name as Bono, the lead singer for U2, and uh, grew up at a, at a place in Dublin where there was this very, very large uh, foundation that for many years was the promise of building these seven high-rise buildings in Dublin. You can still go to the Ballynum Apartments in, in Dublin, and, and they, were, they were built, these seven, seven towers were built to be this great place to live. And slowly but surely over the decades, the Ballynum Apartments became a haven for heroin addicts and so Bono wrote the song in the 80's called Running to Stand Still and and the lyrics go like this and so she woke up woke up from where she was lying still and said I've got to do something about where we're going step on a steam train step out of the driving rain maybe just go somewhere. Run from the darkness in the night. And this, this, this song reminds us that sometimes there are things that look promising to us. And when we go there for the promise, we end up becoming captured. Bono says that I see seven towers, but I only see one way out. And that was by numbing myself with heroin. Heroin. And you may have a a moment, the lyrics go, you have a moment of clarity and you try to run and you end up finding that you cannot get out and you're just running to stand still. And so many of us in our Christian lives are running to stand still. And it's because we have not taken the effort and the time to name the idol beneath our sin that is constantly vying for our attention and for our affection. So consider, would you consider that there is an idol of your heart that is an idols of your heart that are constantly keeping you from experiencing the kind of freedom and joy in Christ that he longs for you to experience. The Apostle Paul says, consider the people of Israel who would eat the sacrifices from the altar as participants in the altar. And they would honor Yahweh. They would acknowledge his power. And when you, Corinthians, when you eat at the table of pagans as they worship, are you not participating with them in that meal? It's not that you're, it's not that you're just saying, well, it's food I can enjoy. No, you, you in this moment are saying that I, in the midst of that worship, am worshiping. I'm worshiping what they also are worshiping. And so think about the way you consume media. Like, why are you going to Facebook? And to YouTube. I'm not saying those are bad things at all. They can be amazing gifts for the kingdom. But why do you go there? Paul Houston says in Running to Stand Still, and so I um, took the needle chill and took the poison stream and I floated out of here. And a lot of you, heroin may not be your issue, but man's, wanting people's affection, is. And this is the level at which the gospel wants to go to work in your heart. So would you take a moment to consider, to just consider that beneath your sins is a powerful pattern that reveals an idolatry. And how can you see that God is good and he is gracious, that he is in control and he is better than sin? Because we are to choose the better blessing, which takes us to verse 21 to assess. You cannot partake, verse 21 says, in the table of the Lord and the cup of demons. The table of the Lord, what is that? Well, verse 16, Paul brings in this image of Jesus in the Lord's table, the cup of blessing that we bless, is that not participation in the blood of Christ? In the upper room, we don't, we don't symbolize it today as they would have experienced it in the upper room because we focus on one cup. But in the Passover meal, there's actually three cups. And the third cup is the cup that, Jesus is, that Paul is referring to here. It was the cup of thanksgiving. It was the cup of blessing. And he says, we bless this cup. We center our our lives around this cup, this cup of thanksgiving. And when we center our lives around it, when we participate in it, we are koinonia, we are in fellowship together around this cup. And so assess it for yourself. Jesus is saying that one of the ways that you help identify the idols of your heart... Yes, listening to God's word. Yes, enjoying the sermon and paying attention to it and leaning in when you get distracted about where you're going to have lunch in 25 minutes. But you lean in and you say, Lord, help me through partaking of your table to help identify the idols of my heart. And at that level of repentance, you then come to the table and you celebrate his great welcome to you because he is there. Jesus is the humble lamb. Symbolized in the table in which you participate. Jesus is the host of sinners, which he invites you to. Jesus is the healer of the broken. So you can bring your doubts to the table. You can bring your struggles to the table. This table not, is not for perfect people. But it is for repentant people. And I dare say that some of you come to this table without being repentant. That's just what we do at the end of the service. I'm just going to walk up to it with zero reflection about what you're about to do. How dare you? How dare I? And oftentimes we come to the table and we're participating with demons as we come to the table. Oh, I'm just going to, this is just what I do. But I'm not really that repentant. I still, I still am greedy in heart. I still care more about what my 401k says when the market turns down than I do about living a life wholly given to the Lord. I care more about what happens to me than I possibly would if I'm ever asked to do something uncomfortable. That's the level at which Paul calls these Corinthians to deal with the idolatry of their heart. Judge for yourself what I say. Is it sensible? You're sensible people. Consider your own heart and the idols of your life. Assess the resources that are given to you. And Paul points us to the Lord's table and says assess it and come to it with joy and repentance. The high point of his argument is down in verse 22 that the Corinthians will rouse the Lord to jealousy if they put him to the test. And every example of somebody putting God to the test, he goes toe-to-toe with them in Scripture. And they either end up repentant or they end up eternally separated from his presence. So you choose. And as we come to this cup, it cup, it is a cup that we honor. And in the simplicity of bread and wine, Medicines change. Self-help techniques change. Experiences and trends come and go. The spiritual presence of Jesus Christ in the bread and the wine of the Lord's table continues to provide care for your souls that the most powerful medicine will never be able to reach. And it's right here. One more thing. Notice that that Paul uses this term "beloved." You see that in verse fourteen. Therefore, my beloved, it's it's um, it's the word for unconditional alo- love. Agapetoi, my beloved, my beloved ones. One of the reasons that um, we sometimes struggle to communi- to create a community environment where people are free to struggle with sin is because you have an idol of a church where people can't sin. You have an idol of a church where people are dressed a certain way, look a certain way, have certain things put together, and it actually crushes people's ability to be fiercely honest because you don't mean to, but you subtly judge what people do. And that, friends, is poison. But what would it be like if we could create a community where people struggled, where people were perhaps even in the midst of a deconversion experience, really struggling with God's Word, And we could welcome them with open arms and say, this is the place of rest for you. We're not cutting you off. We're bringing you in. We are patient. We love you. We struggle with sin. So do you. We're in it together. What would it be like if there were people who could come around the table who would cross their hands over their chest because that week they don't need to take the Lord's Supper and you didn't judge them. You gladly celebrated that they're there. And when we come around the table this morning, I just encourage you to look at the people in the eye that are around that circle and notice that you are participating in one loaf. It's cut up, but it's one loaf. It's one piece of bread, and you're participating in the body of Christ together. And give people the freedom to let the elements pass them by without trying to wonder about what's going on in their life. That's between them and the Lord. And they are actually blessing you as a community by assessing their hearts well enough to say, I cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons at the same time, and this week I'm going to let the elements pass you by. But if you are in a position where you're ready to be repentant, Then drink of it with joy because it is a table for you. And as you look those people in the eye that are around the circle, you do so saying, yes, let's become more and more like Jesus together because he knows us all the way to the bottom. Judge for yourself. Consider the idols of your heart and assess the gifts that he gives to us in the Lord's table and prepare your heart now to come to him in faith and in repentance. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, would you help us to flee from idolatry and choose the better blessing? Would you help us to be well equipped to not just see the sins of our life, but to see the pattern of sin underneath those sins and the idols that often keep us there. And would you, Lord, help this welcome of grace to your table to be scary powerful. Yes, you're holy. It's a little intimidating to come into your presence, but you have open arms to welcome us there, and it's powerful to be embraced by you. So humble lamb, host of sinners, healer of the broken, Thank you that you were broken for us, and you rose again on the third day. May we at Trinity not provoke you to jealousy, for we are not stronger than you. Help us to come into your presence and to your table in the gladness of your grace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.